That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. Well, Jake, here we are, second Sunday of Advent. We're now into year A, this new liturgical year. And of course, all of our listeners, if they are preachers, are now deep, deep into all the not Christmas, but Advent activities, uh, threading that needle between getting reverential and penitential for Advent, but at the same time planning ahead for all the glories of the Christmas season, mm. the perfect Griswold family Christmas. Mm-hmm. Uh, but first, how are you doing? You know, I'm doing uh, like everybody else, every other clergy person this time of year, kind of, um, uh, you know... Uh, uh, run ragged and hung wet and so it's a, you know, it's, a, it's a busy time of year for everybody and so but uh, hopefully um, this particular episode and our episodes throughout Advent uh, will um, help ease uh, your workload. So for our urban listeners who are not familiar with Jake's <laughs> colorful colloquial way of speaking as someone who grew up in the American Southwest where horses are as common as uh, Mountain Dew. Uh, the road hard and put away wet is when you ride a horse really hard and then put it back in the stable without, um, you know, letting it run, dry out. Right. So I'm in Texas, so I, you know, I'm not a cowboy, but I, I know some, so I can, I can translate for our, for our listeners. Amazing. That's great. No, I'm doing but, uh, well and hanging in there. Yeah. So anyway, we have some exciting <laughs> readings. <laughs> just had that little pause. It was just the, the Zoloft kicking in right yeah, there. That's so, right. Yeah. so Jake is now ready to record this podcast. All right. So we are in this Advent to uh, Sunday. And the collect, as always, is kind of uh, fiery and intense. And it is about your messengers, the prophets, who preach repentance and pr- to prepare the way for our salvation. So basically today you're going to get Isaiah doing that, preaching repentance and that we prepare the way for our salvation. And then you're going to get um, St. Paul quoting that in Romans and then John the Baptist in the gospel reading, Matthew 3, talking about that. So there's a strong line, this uh, kind of prophetic line of, of getting ready you know, and the message that we should heed their warnings and forsake their sins, all that in the colic kind of keys us into what's about to come. And so the readings are Romans, or sorry, Isaiah 11, 1 through 10, Romans 15, 4 through 13, Matthew 3, 1 through 11. And I just got to say, I'm glad we're no longer in that sort of track one, track two situation. We can just, uh, everybody's doing the same thing. Mm. All right. So Isaiah 11. Jesse shooting coming out of the stump of Jesse. Yeah, it's very powerful. What is this about, Jake? G- give us the lay of the land. <clears throat> well, I think that this is a, not I think, what I know. <laughs> Excuse me. 
as a highly trained religious professional who's been in the pulpit for low these 15 years plus. Essentially what uh, this is, is this is a vision of the messianic age and uh, the age in which, um, yeah, the, the Messiah would usher in and uh, what everyone was looking for. And I think one of the things that's very important about this passage as you're preaching it, and I know you're going to uh, touch on this in just a sec, but first of all, the shocking idea of a shoot shall come out from the stump of Jesse, uh, and a branch, singular, shall grow out of its roots. So uh, the idea here is, is that, remember, Israel was always represented by a vine and um, uh, a, a giant tree. And, uh, and uh, notice that um, it is now re referencing Israel as not as something that's healthy, but a stump. And, uh, but out of this stump won't come a whole other like vine representative of a nation. This is just one, one little branch, a shoot shall grow from its root. So right away, for the first hearers of this prophecy, this would be quite controversial. This would freak everybody. What do you mean? What, I mean, what, what about the whole nation? Isn't he going to just make a whole nation, you know, a whole other another vine? And uh, out of this comes, um, comes a, a lot of contradictions. Um, uh, there will be, so first the, the description of the Messiah, but then what his world looks like. And it looks like total and complete peace, so much so mm. that a child... A nursing child, which is an infant, can play over the hole of an asp. I mean, put uh, just uh, just wrap that your mind p, around that, that p. The letter p at the end of that word is so crucial. It's critical. So if you are uh, preaching on this text. Asp, asp meaning a snake. That's right. Kind so anyway, of, but you want to you want to really hit on this. This is a, this is an age that is to come, and it's an age that not. It's an age that we don't usher in. Uh, this is an age that's ushered in by the Messiah. But what would you say? So, yes, I'd say a couple things. One, that it is important to note that this is a shoot coming out, as you said, of a stump, that it is uh, a lost cause. There's just uh, been judgment. Mm -hmm. Yep, and it looks like everything is burnt over and nothing could possibly grow, and yet, against all odds, to quote Phil Collins, uh, <laughs> this, this shoot comes, this little green shoot comes out of something that looks completely dead. This is like the wisteria vine in front of my house, which we have cut down like five times, because it gets all unruly, and, mm. uh, but every time, we've, we've cut it down like to the ground, and it's, it keeps coming back. And so, this is the image, and the other thing, so I would talk about that, I would talk about the burned over places in your life, the things that have been cut down, not just a gentle pruning, but things that have just been cut off, just severed, broken places uh, where you can't actually make anything happen. There's a word here about that. And I think the other thing I would say, gosh, there's so much here, but the, um, this uh, thing of Jesus um, it says, he, he shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear. So this is something about Jesus where he's able to see past the surface of things. Uh, mm. He's able to, to listen to not what you're saying, but what you're not saying. He can go down to the core of who you are. And uh, there's, I think, something here you could preach about the fact that all of us, on some level, need deeply to be seen. And that um, that's amazing about that is that Jesus does see he sees uh, the immense value, worth, and beauty of who we are as people made in the image of God, as well as the very real self-absorbed sinfulness that we all participate in all the time, and he still loves us. So, 
And I think uh, finally I would I would talk about the the um, kind of what you said this peace that exists on the earth that these really impossible things that you could put the baby seal pup next to the great white shark and they would just have fun like little playing little water games. Um, you could put the uh, the uh, <laughs> rabid raccoon next to the little baby rabbit and they would get along like these yep. things that normally destroy each other are um, now friends and what this is a pointing towards is the relationship between human beings and uh, God that mm -hmm. um, as, as um, we're recording this right after Christ the King Sunday where we talked about the Colossians 1 reading where in Christ God has reconciled all things whether in heaven or earth to himself and so that reconciliation is the picture that, that we have here as opposed to the violent striving, ambition-seeking, um, um, me-over-you kind of way that the world always works. So, that's what I would talk about. Those are three yeah. themes one could explore. Well, and this also, um, it, it naturally flows into um, into our epistle reading because um, another way to interpret this idea is, I mean, the very, the fresh new branch, the, the, the bubbling that's coming out of this stump is actually the Gentiles, and Paul quotes the Septuagint here in our Romans reading um, to tie into uh, the prophet Isaiah. But the thing that I really uh, like about the particular reading from Romans is kind of something uh, similar that you just hit on, Aaron, um, about that you're seen and you're valued and you're known and you're loved by God. And uh, um, oftentimes in Advent, we really want to emphasize the idea of like God is this angry judge. You know what I mean? And the and the you know and the and the dreadful and terrible day of the Lord, which is all very true. <clears throat> but also, uh, we need to remember. And a lot of people forget this about English history. But there, in English history, a lot of people talk about you know the Puritans destroying the stained glass windows because of the iconoclastic aspects of it. And, uh, but it wasn't, that's not 100% true. One of the major reasons why a lot of the Puritans destroyed a lot of the windows is because they depicted these images of Jesus as the great judge. And, um, and uh, it was a terrifying image, and they were trying to flip that a little bit on its head, to, uh, on its head at least that, that first generation of reformers. And uh, this is something that St. Paul really gets at here, is, is changing our picture of who God is. Uh, God in Christ delights in you. God in Christ knows you more than yourself, and he loves you more than you could possibly imagine. And this is the image, really, that Paul is painting here in Romans chapter 15, of a God who's actually for you. And because God is for you, well, then you're filled with all sorts of hope and joy and peace in believing, uh, and so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the uh, idea of God wagging his uh, fingers at you or with the sword of Damocles over your head that causes us to go inside and hide. Uh, but when we know that God is actually for us, uh, when he's always been for the Gentiles, he's always been for the Jews, he's been for both, trying to make them one people in Jesus Christ. Well, this uh, really opens us up and transforms everything and uh, sends us out in mission. And so this is really one of the things that Paul's getting at in Romans chapter 15. He's trying to uh, flip our head, um, flip flip our image and our understanding of who God is. Yeah, that's right. And so I think, uh, as you already referenced, in the tie-in here with Paul quoting, he has several quotes from the Old Testament, um, but the 
the reason that the lectionary committee uh, particularly chose this one for Advent 2 uh, and the theme that it's developing on these prophets is that in Isaiah 11.10, we read this, On that day the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal to the peoples, the nation shall inquire of him, and his dwelling shall be glorious. Which is translated, uh, seminary nerds and scholars, um, from the Masoretic text, the kind of old Hebrew uh, kind of original text that we have, the oldest translation, the oldest version of the Hebrew scriptures. But then you have St. Paul, so I'm going to read again in Isaiah, on that day the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal to the peoples, just that first verse. And then Paul quotes it in Romans and he says, and again Isaiah says, the root of Jesse shall come, the one who rises to rule the Gentiles, in him the Gentiles shall hope. So, Again, I thought Isaiah was talking about a signal to the peoples and the nation shall inquire. And he says he's a signal to the peoples, but Paul says uh, in this passage, um, not signal, but the one who rises to rule the Gentiles. And what's going on here is that Paul is quoting Isaiah accurately, but he's quoting the Greek Old Testament, which for lots of reasons is not called, which would be helpful, the Greek Old Testament. It's called the Septuagint. Anyways, Paul is quoting a, a translation of the Hebrew. He would have known both, but he's translating this one because it is um, more uh, in connection with what he wants to say about who Jesus is. The, the, the key thing here, and I just throw that out there in case somebody comes up to you after church, preacher, and is like, in the Isaiah passage, he says that the root of Jesse is a signal to the peoples, but in the Romans passage, he says that he's one to rule the Gentiles. Well, one, peoples and Gentiles is the same word. It means goyim, goyim or the people, the nations, in Hebrew means the Gentiles, so it's, it's the same thing. But it's uh, the, the Greek translators of the Old Testament knew what they were doing, and they knew the Hebrew, and they knew this signal, because the signal is here in Isaiah uh, chapter 11 is like a banner that you have in war, or like a king's standard or something, so when you see it, you flock to it, it's like the signal of the leader. So when it's standing to the signal to the peoples, it's not just like a traffic signal or a stop sign or like, you know, when you wave your hand to the waiter, like, can you bring the check? It's not that kind of signal. It's like a banner of a king. So that's why the Septuagint translators, which Paul is using here, said that he's going to rule the Gentiles. He's going to be their king. So all that to say is the main idea is the same. There's a little translation difference, and this is just to save you and in case any, uh, any you've got any seminary professors like I do in your congregation and they want to know about this if you make a big deal out of it. So just be careful. Um, it's always good to, to, to check when you have the New Testament quoting the Old Testament to make sure you know what's going on there. So, but the point is, everything I just said, again, I'm helping you preachers in case somebody asks you this, but it's probably not worth talking about in your sermon. I think the point is that Jesus was, this Messiah was prophesied as coming, and one of the main surprises, which shouldn't have been a surprise, but was a prophecy, is that Jesus is coming to save everybody, not just the Jewish people, not just the people of Israel, but for the Gentiles, um, and for the uncircumcised, which was always, always a thing Paul was dealing with, but basically just the idea that Jesus is for everybody, and this is sort of a miraculous thing. To your point, Jake, about um, the... Uh, way we often see God as being this judge, but actually in Jesus, God comes uh, to us to save all of us, and not just a subset, but all of us. So, anyways, that was probably too long and maybe boring, and if you're still listening, God bless you, and uh, now we can move into the uh, the Matthew reading where we have 
the last of the Old Testament prophets, as it were, as it were, John the Baptist, mm-hmm. uh, doing what um, prophets do, which is to preach repentance and also someone else is coming. So, uh, Jake, as you, as we have a little, a little almost. Um, uh, this is sort of this apocalyptic warning thing, uh, which is pretty intense. Anything you would want to say about good old Juan the Baptist? Well, like as you said, he's the last of the um, of the real Old Testament prophets, the seal of those prophets, if you will. And uh, one of the interesting things um, about uh, John the Baptist's ministry um, is that there was a, a big confusion in Second Temple Judaism about uh, who was Elijah. And would there really be one, an actual Elijah? Would, would the anointed one just arrive on stage? And so uh, when this is happening and to set the stage, I mean, what has it been like 400, 500 years between this very moment and uh, the last prophet Malachi? And exactly. uh, so uh, people, I mean, this is a very, very shocking moment. And um, this is, and if you remember at the time too, you had the Pharisees who were trying to clamp down on everything. And then you had the Sadducees who were kind of part of Herod's court. And they, a lot of these families came from the diaspora and he was trying to gain legitimacy. And so, um, and so the, the, it's all very, very corrupt and legalistic. And out of, the, out of nowhere comes this voice, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near you. I mean, Matthew makes this clear in the wilderness in Judea. And, uh, and really, I mean, the, one of the first things that kind of uh, comes out, and if you notice, he's, he's looking a little bit like Tom Hanks in Castaway. That's how mm. I've always envisioned him. John the Baptist yep. there, uh, you know, uh, Tom, later in, in his, his uh, like his... Not uh, when he's the plump Nashville-based <laughs> FedEx executive. No, no. But no. later when he's the tanned, ripped... Crazy uh, crazy yeah guy out in the middle of the in the ocean and yeah. so but uh this and and people from Ju- jerusalem and judea were going out to him and all the region and they were being baptized by him they were confessing their sins but this is really i mean i want to say one of the first things is that uh and i think it ties into advent is that the voice of the lord uh the voice of the lord is never going to come where you expect it uh, you know, and this isn't about like being on the fringe or the outside of society, you know, as oftentimes it's taught in mainline is this is from the places you would dare not want to look. So if you are finding your comfort and your assurance in religion from like kind of uh, the mainline side of the world, uh, the John the Baptist uh, voice, the voice of the Lord may come to you from evangelicalism. Uh, and if you're finding your comfort and your uh, security, religiously speaking, from kind of the evangelical, more conservative part of the world, uh, you may have your John the Baptist coming at you from a mainline person. But whatever it is, uh, the voice of the Lord is speaking, and, uh, and uh, he's calling you as well, and calling you to repentance, uh, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. So that's one of the first things I would say. Um, what would you what would you want to say, Aaron? I've got a couple more things, but I thought I'd uh, volley over to you. Thanks for thanks for letting me talk because I didn't talk up. enough about the Septuagint last time. Um, so I think a couple of things. One, it's significant that it says all the people and all Judea were going to him. So and the, and they're going to confess their sins. This is sort of the opposite of going to. Um, of motivational speaker. Like, it, there's something that God is up to here where he has made them 
able to see a little bit of their need for for help. Um, this is something that you do see historically at times where there's kind of this national or corporate sense of reckoning and need to get right. Um, it is not something that comes about just sort of automatically. So there's something significant that God is up to. And it can happen individually. Um, people can come to a point in their own lives where they think, wait, what am I doing and what's going on? And there's a sense of needing um, uh, to be cleansed or set right or something. And so, and when you're in that, it feels a little bit like suffering. So just, just noting that, um, what God is doing in people to bring them uh, to this man in the desert who's telling people to repent. Um, I think there's a word here for religious people, since mm-hmm. they are criticized here, the, as you've said, like, you know, the Pharisees and Sadducees, and he calls them a bunch of snakes. So, this gets back to one of the original things we're talking about um, in the Isaiah passage, God and the Messiah being able to see into people's hearts, see past what the eyes can see, hear past what the ears can hear. Um, obviously, John the Baptist is the one speaking here, not yet the Messiah, but is that same kind of idea. Um, And I think there's something here about the presumptions that people have. Um, Whatever is on your resume, and the fact that you think that that gives you some sort of standing before God, whether it's you are a cradle Episcopalian, or you are someone who's given every single year since you were an adult to the local NPR station, or you're somebody who recycles every bit of plastic that crosses your threshold, or you're somebody who has always supported whatever causes you think are important, or you're somebody who's always been a faithful Bible reader, whatever it is. But he says, you can't say we have Abraham as our ancestor and and so I'm okay. Like, whatever's on your resume, that is not what gets you anywhere with God. And as a matter of fact, fact, I mean, so that's what they're coming out for. You know, as I said, the Pharisees, religious and the Sadducees coming from these noble families, uh, part of the diaspora, you know what I mean? And they are coming and they're laying their pedigree. You know, we're cradle Episcopalians. And, mm-hmm. um, and John the Baptist right here actually confirms the prophecy of Isaiah. You know, already the axe is lying at the root of the tree. I mean, this sucker is coming down. Every yeah. tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Now, what does that mean? Well, this is, I mean, and, and this is interpreted uh, rightly through the lens of St. Paul, where he speaks on the distinction between fruit and works. And fruit comes about by the Spirit of God working in us, uh, working in us that has reconciled us to the Father already. These people are trying to climb their way to God. But the fruit, to bear fruit, is uh, recognizing that God has come down to meet you. And so everything else is going to be thrown into the fire. And this is an important thing, too, is that John the Baptist, his baptism right here is not a Christian baptism. You cannot, like, build the case for adult Believer baptism from John the Baptist right here. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance. This is a baptism of repentance. And and this is why Jesus does get baptized later on, because he's identifying with us in every way. But the big thing here is, is that there is one coming, and he will baptize you with Holy Spirit in the fire. And indeed, uh, he does. And when you're baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, uh, you receive the Holy Spirit and uh, and uh, the fire of Pentecost. But ideally, right here, fire is a symbol of judgment in John the Baptist lingo. And uh, lucky for you, this is the good news of the gospel, that fire fell upon another. and mm-hmm. uh, And he bore the unquenchable fire for all of us. And he became chafe for all of us. 
so that you and I might be the wheat, be made wheat, uh, and gathered into the granary of eternal life. That's right. And so for those of you that are not, again, um, as uh, acquainted with the ways of the country and agricultural peoples as Jacob Smith, the whole reference to threshing floors and a winnowing fork. So a threshing floor is a, is a place usually up on a hill, a flat surface where um, pre-industrial agriculture, what people would do is they'd take their grain out there and they would get a winnowing fork, kind of a, a broad pitchforky, shovely kind of thing, and they throw the grain into the air and the heavier grain seed, what you want to make your flour or whatever, falls to the ground. The chaff, which is this sort of uh, inedible husk of the seed, uh, blows away and, and all these kind of gets gathered um, and is later burned. Uh, so that's the image. It's sort of uh, separating the good from the bad, keeping the good and burning the bad. And, and it is this image of Jesus who's coming to do exactly what you said, Jake, earlier, the, this idea of Jesus as judge. Um, but what what John the Baptist doesn't quite get is, yes, Jesus is the judge, but he will judge himself in our place. He makes himself, as you said, the chaff. He makes us, kind of by his imputing righteousness, he makes us the wheat that is gathered into the into the granary. And so I think, um, you know, if I were to try to preach on this, I would probably say something along the lines of Advent is a time to get ready. You know, Jesus is coming, and and so there's this call to repentance. But there's a great surprise coming, and the surprise is that when he arrives, well, I mean, we all know for Christmas, and you can decide how much you want to hold your fire here, whether you want to give away the the ending, the spoiler, as it were, but, you know, we're expecting judgment, but the surprising thing is that we end up getting this little, this little baby, this little green shoot coming out of the stump of Jesse. By the way, the stump of Jesse is Joseph. Uh... That's who we're talking about, by the way, quite specifically here, because Jesse's um, direct descendant is Joseph in the house of David. Because Jesse is is the the son of um, or grandson of Ruth and and Boaz, and uh, and Jesse's obviously the father of David, and then David is the ancestor of Joseph, the the earthly father of Jesus, the the husband of. The Blessed Virgin Mary. So when we say the stump of Jesse, we're very specifically talking about Joseph, and that's who Jesus is going to come from. So all that to say, if I were going to preach on this, I think, which I probably will, uh, I'll say something about there's this great threat of being kind of cracked open and having who you are exposed. This is what John the Baptist is talking about, and this is what Isaiah is talking about. But what you find when Christ comes in that exposure, in that vulnerable place, um, we find a God who's actually able to forgive and love and save. And So something along those lines. Jake, you look, your, fur, your brow is furrowed. You've taken off your glasses. And I you just want to say it's a beautiful word. I agree with you. Oh, well, praise God. All right. Maybe the smartest thing you've ever said. That's not true. I will say, Jake, when I read your quotes on the Calvary St. George social meds feeds, mm-hmm. I'm always like, man, that Jacob Smith, everybody should listen to your sermons. It's just Aww, so good. Thank you. For real. That's how I think. I'm like, man, that Jake, he gets, you get like the, the, the dose of the ghost. You get some, and sometimes it happens on this podcast, this very podcast. Yeah. You get all, you get all full of, full of the fire. Hey, all really, right. really quick before we go, can we uh, make, um, can we make, yeah, let's plug. Well, can we make one plug for our friend Amber Noel? 
Absolutely. So, Amber Noel of the Living Church podcast and yeah. just Living Church greatness in general. So tell our, tell our listeners, what is but, the Living Church, Jake? Yeah, well, I'm glad you asked me, Aaron. Uh, the Living Church, sort of like Mockingbird, is a, a resource ministry uh, for the Episcopal Church and uh, the, the greater Anglican Communion. Stands in the Reformed Catholic tradition. It began as a magazine, which a number of churches still subscribe to, called The Living Church. Including uh, St. Albans Waco. Yeah, it forms of people all over the communion about, uh, about communion happenings. And, so, and uh, also they have an amazing blog called Covenant. And uh, they also are now um, hosting uh, different conferences, including an Anglican Heritage Pilgrimage. And uh, that Anglican Heritage Pilgrimage, they're going to be leading in May, and they've extended the registration deadline to December 15th. Yeah, and if you are interested, folks, in learning more, you can obviously just Google the Living Church and go to their website, uh, or you can email us at sosembird at gmail.com. We set that up a long time ago. We occasionally check it, but we'll be sure to check it these days. But it's it's all the highlights of Anglican Christianity. So if you want to see... Uh, you know, if you've never been to Westminster Abbey. And... Yep. If you want to, you know, the Oxford-Cambridge situation um, where Cranmer was burned at the stake, all those sorts of things. Um, and, I mean, gosh, and I'm sure there'll be delicious food and you know, time to... You know delicious food. So, yeah. but I uh, just want to encourage you, but the deadline's coming up quick. It's December 15th. And so, uh, and you can also call uh, the following number with more questions, 607-544-43 zero zero so anyway, that number one more time jake is six zero seven five four four forty three zero zero and they'll be happy to answer all your questions so anyway i think that's amber's personal cell phone number but anyway just ah. kidding, but that's the number that was given <laughs> that being said happy to plug um and um love our friends at the living church so um, yeah livingchurch.org and you can find the stuff until then uh, have a great and wonderful week somebody's Thanks for listening to Same Old Song. Hope you found some gospel nuggets for the pulpit or for your life. If you like what you heard, leave a review or rating in Apple Podcasts. Dave Zoll will be sad if you don't. Thanks to TJ Hester for audio production. And remember to keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.